I had the joy and the privilege of serving at a church uh, as a uh, youth pastor um, in New Jersey for um, uh, 11 years or 11, 12 years, and I uh, love my time out there in New Jersey and still have some wonderful relationships with those folks that are out there. And um, after several years in student ministry, I had kind of a break in there. I, when I surrendered to the ministry uh, in the mid-90s. Um, I thought the Lord was going to take me right into uh, youth ministry, and the Lord had other plans and took me into uh, leading as a worship pastor for about, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years, and um, and then brought me back into student ministry. But I always, uh, you know, enjoyed being engaged in youth retreats and different things like that. So I've always had a heart for kids in that way. Um, and uh, so after serving as a youth pastor for, uh, for several years, uh, I... I I, I love children and I love teenagers, and it became uh, clear to me, or I, sh I should say, in my life, the Lord began to transi transition my heart, my calling from uh, youth ministry toward other pastoral ministry, lead pastor, associate pastor, whatever the case might be, in this case, lead pastor. And uh, But the impetus for that, or a large drive for that, was my love for children and youth. And I came to a point in my ministry, while I loved doing what I was doing with students, I said, I've got to be able to impact their parents. I've got to be able to impact the parents of children and teenagers in order to make the greatest impact that I can in the lives of teenagers. And so that was just a small part of my story and how the Lord began to move me in that direction. Uh, and uh, in my time as a youth pastor, when I was in New Jersey, um, we had a what we called a parent support team. We had a few different focuses on that parent support team. Uh, but I had the, the privilege of working with a couple who was going to help kind of lead one arm or one, uh, one focus of that parent support team. And, and their goal was going to be to help, help build up uh, and disciple parents in what it means to be a godly parent. In other words, how do I train up and disciple my kids in the ways of the Lord. Well, a funny thing happened in these conversations. So the couple that was going to take on this charge, Gavin and Sue, they're, they're good friends to this day. Uh, they actually were Sherilyn and, uh, our, Sherilyn and my uh, ma marriage mentors early in our marriage. And so we had a great relationship with them. And we began talking about this uh, uh, focus or initiative, whatever you want to call it. And, and at, the more we talked about it, we realized there was this strong agreement. And yet we had this one area where we just weren't weren't clicking, right? It was very much like a conversation with a uh, husband and wife at times. I mean, you, you might know what I'm talking about. I don't know, but you might, right? You know, you're talking about something and, and what you're saying makes perfect sense, right? But then the other person is just like, I see your mouth moving, but I have no idea what you're saying, right? And it works both ways. I mean, this happens. Well, this is kind of what was going on. We We would talk about aspects of of godly living as parents and striving for the Lord and surrendering to the Lord and always learning and growing. And we were finding strong agreement, but we realized there was this part of what I was trying to convey to them that just wasn't quite clicking. And one day it clicked as we were talking and he asked this question that seemed obvious to him. We were talking, I can tell you exactly where we were sitting, almost like what the papers, how the papers were laid out on the table that day. And he said, Matt, I guess I don't quite understand. If if these parents are Christians, why would we need to motivate them and teach them 
how to live as Christian parents. I mean, you're talking to me about helping Christian parents grow in their own time with the Lord. You're talking to me about helping parents develop a passion and discipleship for discipling and training up their kids to follow the Lord. I'm like, right, exactly. And he goes, but why do we have to tell this to Christian parents? I was like, oh, he goes, don't they just already do it? I was like, oh, no. Now, that's a broad brush. It's not an indictment against certainly everyone here. We're all Christian parents. But as we begin to think about our own stories, we begin to think about how we came to faith. Many, many, some, many even in this room didn't come to faith until you were an adult. Many, many of us didn't necessarily grow up with parents who modeled what it looks like to be a God-honoring parent. And so as you think about it more, it begins to make more sense. Oh, see, he, was, he and his wife were both recipients of the blessing of incredibly godly parents. Two generations up. And that's all they knew, which is wonderful. But then to begin to say, well, that's not everyone's life story. It's not everyone's testimony. It's, it's not how they all even came to faith young as a child and walking with the Lord. And In fact, some, some live in homes where there were parents who, who led in a pretty strong way in the name of being a godly parent, but missed the mark. I mean, I know myself how much I try with my kids, and I know how much I miss the mark. And so it's quite possible that well-meaning intended parents miss the mark, some more than others. We're not here to sort out who that is. But as we, as we begin to look forward and recognize, you know what, in a simpler sense, we're all broken sinners trying to learn how to follow the Lord in life. And this includes marriage and parenting. And as a couple who, at that time, still had two, two kids in high school, they're all grown and married and, and with children now, and they all love the Lord Jesus, uh, they kind of had a moment where they just said, oh, okay, got it now. It wasn't a demeaning conversation toward other parents who didn't necessarily know how to train up their kids in the ways of the Lord. It was a recognition that we... We all come from different walks of life and we're all in different places for whatever reason. And in a lot of ways, I don't want to say the reasons don't matter because they do matter, but in a lot of ways, they don't matter from the standpoint of saying, okay, let, this is what we want to set our sights on. That's why last week I spent an entire Sunday as I did at the beginning of this marriage and family series talking about what it looks like in faithful parental living. A little bit of an awkward phrase intentionally. Parental living means that we recognize God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection, right? And so we're to strive after the Lord being faithful to his word by seeking him through his word 
by His grace and for His glory. Why? Because of who He is, because of what He has done, and because of what He's promised to do. And, and, and parents, and I'll just say, young people, if you think, uh, sometimes at a, at a marriage conference, there are, there are sermons or messages for couples. And then there's a sermon and somebody or a message and somebody will say something like this. Now, ladies, I'm going to talk to the men for a minute during this session, but I know you're here and so you should be listening in. And so if you're not married or if you're married and you don't have kids yet and you think, oh, this is for parents, it's not for me. Well, if you want to know kind of what the game plan is for where your parents are going to be heading, you want to listen in, right? I mean, if you want to, maybe you want to try to get a step ahead of them. Right? That's an okay kind of competition. Right? Hey, let's get ahead of each other in seeking the Lord. Let's out, outdo one another in serving one another. Right? I mean, that's, that's a good goal. So you listen in. But also, if the Lord blesses you and, you and you get married one day, I said if the Lord blesses you and you get married, the Lord blesses many people who don't end up getting married, and that's okay too. Your, your life, your sense of being complete in this life is not for a moment based on whether or not you get married or whether or not you have children. These are good things and we hold them up and we esteem them, but your identity, your purpose, your value, not related to these things. I just want to be clear on that. So this morning is going to be similarly linked to that idea of last week. And I know you might be kind of leaning in going like, would you just get to the point and tell me what to do? And I'll say, no, no. Because if we just go through the motions without genuinely desiring to grow in our own relationship with our own father, we'll be missing the point. Christianity, if you've parented or been in any kind of relationship with anyone ever, you recognize that it's not formulaic. Do this and then do this and then this will be the end result. Life almost never works that way. And so this morning, we, we want to see how do we view parenting still through the lens of God's kingdom? Because we're kingdom people, and so we live for God's kingdom. Our main idea this morning is to follow your heavenly father in your parenting. Follow your heavenly father in your parenting. Think about the blessing that children are. Children are a blessing that we are called to steward. And brothers and sisters, friends, I will tell you that is not the message of culture today. Culture, culture tells you, well, if it's inconvenient to have a child at this time of your life, I know there are other reasons. I know there are other situations. I'm not here to address them all this morning. There is a significant portion of culture today saying that if children are inconvenient, if it's not the right time in your life, then just take a pill and get rid of the pregnancy and, and go on with life. I would say that's not God's plan. Is there forgiveness for that? Absolutely. Can you be a fully devoted follower of Christ, a growing Christian, making a wonderful impact for God's community if that's part of your past? Of course you can, 100%. We just sang about it, our Redeemer's love. The Bible teaches us that children are an incredible blessing to be, to be stewarded, to, to be uh, rightly taken care of and managed as those who are gods on loan 
to you and me. We don't always think about parenting as stewardship. In fact, if I told you I was going to do a five-week series on stewardship, parenting might not even be one of the things that would be on the list in your mind. You might think of money, possessions, time, and the list goes on. We're to be stewards of everything that God has given us in our lives. Matthew 6.33 says, when, 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 when Jesus is addressing, not, not worrying about all these things that are beyond our control, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Colossians 3, the apostle Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Parents, Singles, if you're married without children, when you're parenting, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ in your efforts to parent. Or you are serving yourself. And the Apostle Paul says, fix your eyes on Christ as you seek to serve him, seeking first his kingdom. Friends, we, we must reject the goals the world tells us that we're to have with parenting. There are some okay things out there, but if they don't flow from our, our aim to be Christ-centered in everything we do as parents, they will set you off course. We, we want children who grow up and are responsible and, and know how to show up at work on time and know how to actually work a job. And, and when there's something that needs to be done, they don't have to wait for their boss to tell them what to be doing. They look and they go, oh, hey, look, something needs to be done over there. I should get after that. Why? Because I'm on the clock and I'm working for someone and I want to honor God and my employees. We want that for our children. But even that needs to flow out of a desire we seek to instill in them that they do that out of a desire to bring glory to God in their life. So everything flows through this, this filter, this, this lens. We need to love and lead your children as a steward for God's glory because ultimately they like you, like me, are his. God gives us children as a blessing. So we receive them as such. Listen to Psalm 139, 13 to 16. The psalmist says, in a prayer to the Lord, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well, very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every were, were written my days, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gates. Friend, God knows our children before he gives them to us. Before one of our children's days came to be, he wove them together in their mother's womb. They're his. And then as they're born, he introduces them to us. 
Nowhere in scripture is there any indication that children are anything but a blessing from the Lord. Now, children can at times live in ways that don't always feel like they're a blessing to us. But that's because, well, they're sinners in need of a savior, right? They're little and we hold them in our arms and we look and we, oh, how cute they are. And they coo. And I remember being a first time parent and Braden was young. We were in Canada and, and he, you know, they get to that. They just do this cooing thing and they just, they don't really do anything except for poop and pee and eat and sleep. There, I said it. And I just remember so much wanting him to play with me, right? And he would just lay there. You know, and I would kind of lay over top of him with his head right here, you know. And, and I remember one time I was, I told Cheryl, I was like, just do something. I wish you'd do something, right? Now there's times I'm like, I wish you would not do anything. No, I'm just kidding, Brady. <laughs> Parenting's hard work. Being a kid's hard work. Living in this life is hard work. And so sometimes it doesn't feel like a blessing, but that's because we, we live according to how we're feeling at the moment often. We're trained in that way, in a sense. And what we really need to do is be continually being transformed by renewing our mind according to what God says in Scripture about who children are and how we're to parent. What's our purpose in parenting? It's not just that they graduate and get their job or graduate and go to college or, or graduate and have any sense of what they're going to do. No, in all of these things, we're tra training them to seek, how do you want to live your life for God? And sometimes we think that that phrase is tightly linked with something in ministry. Well, we need ministers of the gospel in healthcare. We need ministers of the gospel in teaching and education. We need ministers of the gospel in banking. We need ministers of the gospel as attorneys. We need ministers of the gospel in every field. Christians devoted to Jesus, living their life for him in whatever career the Lord has created you for. And actually, there's quite a bit of freedom in that. Your heavenly father, parents, has given these incredible gifts to you, to us, to steward. But also he's using them in your life to shape you. Now, teenagers, this is not the time, or kids, this is not the time to go home to your parents this afternoon and just say, I think the Lord wants to help me help shape you today. So I'm going to, you know, no. Not the wise move. I get the temptation. It won't go well for you. It shouldn't go well for you if that's your aim. Parents, I want to ask you a question. Is your aim to glorify God in the way you live before and train up your children? I want you to listen for this repeated phrase today, next week. Is it your aim to glorify God in the way that you live before or model and train or teach your children. 
I know sometimes you just want to get through the day, the meal, the season. I get it. But even in that, we model our theology, what we believe to be true about God for our kids. When life feels in, out of control for us, aside from the fact it's an illusion that it was ever in our control, but that's another day. Does your confidence and trust in the Lord model for your children what confidence and trust in the Lord looks like so that they can follow in that pathway? Do they see my mom trusts the Lord and this is a weird time, scary time, whatever for our family, but I see that mom trusts the Lord. Not perfectly. We let them see that too. Parents, what have you learned about your relationship with the Lord that you want your children to learn from? Think about that even now. And as your kids go from being one and two where they're totally dependent on you for everything, which even comes from the Lord, to three, four, five, and that process, and yes, I'm saying even at three, four, five, that process of beginning to slowly teach and train and let out a little bit of rope at a time. That process of the switch from being entirely dependent to interdependent toward greater independence begins to happen, even at young ages. It's different for every child. It's not always based on the age. A lot of factors that relate there. But in that process, even at very young ages, what are they learning from you about your relationship with Jesus? About your failures in your walk with the Lord? Let them see it in your own life. This is one of the ways that you lead them. Ephesians 6, 4, and now we're kind of moving into, it's going to be a two-part sermon today. We're going to look at the, just the beginning part of this verse. But uh, Ephesians 6, 4 the Apostle Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some translations, translations say, bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Right. So this is a section of Ephesians where Paul is talking about the Christian home and what a rightly ordered Christian home is to, be look, is to look like. And in, in Ephesian culture, this was a radical conversation. And this was a totally new idea for them. Children were not prized in this culture. In fact, they were inconveniences in many ways in that, according to that culture. Some view children as inconveniences today. They're not. Some in our culture go the opposite direction and worship their children. Parents, if you're to bring your children up in the fear of the Lord, you have to fear the Lord more than you fear your children. The opposite way of saying that is you have to love the Lord more than you love the approval of your children. More than you love the approval of your neighbor. We're going to get to that half of the verse next week. This morning, we're going to just focus for a few minutes here. Fathers, 
which written to fathers, fathers are to lead out in this, but it applies to fathers and mothers. Don't provoke your children to anger. Parents, the one thing that your your children need, think about this for a minute, the one thing that your children need, which is salvation. More than anything in this life, salvation. You can't give them. Did you hear that? You can't make them get saved. You can make them walk through steps. You can make them follow a a path. You can manipulate them. But you cannot change their heart to cause them to love the Lord. You can't change your own heart. Your call before the Lord is to model, to teach, and to train. Model, teach, train. Over and over again. Model it. Are you asking your kids to live in a way before the Lord that you yourself are not living? Well, that matters because if you're, if you're trying to help your kids see that they need to fear the Lord, which they do, that's true. But you yourself aren't fearing the Lord well, then you, you confuse your children. Oh, so in these ways, to make mom and dad happy, I need to fear the Lord so that I'm a good kid. But I don't see mom and dad fearing the Lord over here. Well, that sends an inconsistent message. Modeling it is first. Living before the Lord so as to model it for your children. The first command here is a negative command. Do not provoke your children to anger. Don't don't live in a way that suggests a a repeated, ongoing pattern of, of many forms of treatment that gradually build up and cause a deep seated anger and resentment that that usually eventually boils over in hostility. Don't provoke them to anger. Now, are they responsible for learning to submit to the Lord in their anger. Yes, they are. You are responsible responsible to do everything according to the Spirit's power who is at work in you to model it for them, not to provoke them to anger. Parents, you got to deal with your own anger with the Lord so that your children know how to deal with their own anger in the right way with the Lord. Right? Think of some things that might cause, this is not a comprehensive list, just a a list of the things that might cause resentment in children. Well-meaning overprotection. There's a time to protect your children from everything. <laughs> and there's a time to begin exposing them to things so that their exposure comes under your care and direction. I read an article this week about teaching your children cuss words. I thought, I don't think I'm going to go with that title. There are times we watch certain things on TV now that we wouldn't have five years ago. Because I want to watch them with, we want to watch them with our children. 
Now, that doesn't mean, hey, whatever. I mean, we, we proof what we, I mean, we preview and we think about what we watch with our kids. But I want them to see things in this world while they're under our roof so that we can talk about it. So that we talk about what it means when people sin because, well, you sin, boys, and your mom and dad sin. Sometimes this is what sin looks like. Okay, well, there's all kinds of sin going on over here. How do we handle those who sin while we reject the sin and love the individual? And we talk about this. I want, I want to introduce them to it in a measured environment. I don't want to be fearful that if they ever see anything aside from what I put in front of them, everything's going to go south. Be protective. The eye is the lamp of the body. Whatever comes in really matters for our souls, but not fearfully overprotective. Another cause of provoking children anger is sort of a, we're just going to call it moody. Now, ladies, I'm not just talking to you here. Men are just as moody as ladies. I think I just got more nodding and amens and affirmation. <laughs> what, what is this? Well, it's a sudden, unaccountable, and unpredictable mood or behavior change. Right? What do you get like when your sports team loses? What do you get like when... You don't get to accomplish your agenda for the day. What, do you, what are you like when at the end of the day and you've got your mind set on what you want to do for the night and, uh, and your kids aren't playing along with that agenda? In other words, is your moodiness teaching them that when you don't get your way, it's okay to act out like this unless mom and dad tell you to stop? What are you modeling for them? Favoritism. It's another way that we can provoke our children to anger. Remember, anger is like a secondary emotion that usually flows out of some kind of loss or hurt. And so it's not usually the immediate thing. It flows out of some kind of discouragement, some kind of sadness, some kind of... And, and it often is internal when we're angry in a sinful anger kind of way. How do you know if anger is sinful or... Or, or godly. Well, if you're angry over something that God would be angry over, you can have godly anger. But then we also need to ask the Lord to help us to respond in a way that is also in keeping with walking according to the Spirit so that we don't gratify the desires of our flesh. So just a quick primer on godly anger versus ungodly anger. And if your children see, oh, dad and mom can act out in this ungodly anger way, but I'm never allowed to, well, that's frustrating to your kids. And when repeated, makes them angry. Now, they've got to deal with that before the Lord. But you're accountable to the Lord for that. Failing to sacrifice for your children, making them feel unwanted. Parenting is difficult work. It's hard work. I said earlier, children aren't inconvenient. Children are at times inconvenient. When we have our mind 
set on our agenda in our time, then yes, caring for the needs of children can be inconvenient. We have a dog, and uh, our kids do a great job taking care of her. Uh, sometimes it's really convenient and fun. At other times, it's cold, and they get up in the, in the cold weather, and they go out in the hot weather, and they do what needs to be done to take care of her. And along that parenting, discipling journey, they'll say something like, well, why can't we? She's okay, but why can't we? I'm like, we feed you when we're tired. Sometimes parents use love or affection as a tool of reward or punishment. Do you want to teach children that they have to perform for your love? We follow our Heavenly Father in our parenting when we recognize that while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovable, Christ died for us. He condescended, he lived a perfect life for you and for me so that we might have relationship with them. He loved before we're able to love with Christ-honoring motives. We love because he loved us. That's not how our, our Heavenly Father loved, and therefore we don't want to love our children in that same way. It's actually not love. It's self-seeking. It's manipulation. It's manipulation. And there's no place for it in a Christian home. There's no place for it in any home. God disciplines his children, which is very different than using love or, or appropriate affection as a tool of reward or punishment. In fact, in the moments when you discipline your children, they ought to know more now, more then than ever, that you love them. I'm gonna, we're going to spend an entire morning on this next week, but your discipline ought to communicate control, sacrifice for them, because discipline and following through with consequences is inconvenient. But because we're seeking first his kingdom and our aim is to fear the Lord and to train our children in the ways of the Lord, it's got to be first. So we take time with discipline. You teach in and through your discipline. You use your discipline to teach. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It's easy to punish out of anger. It's easy to pay back your kids. It's not God's way, parents. We take special care to let our children know how much we love them and that it's because we fear and are following the Lord that we must discipline them. 
I have said to my, my kids more than, a, I don't know, a hundred times, something to the effect of, if I don't discipline you, God will discipline me. So you're going to get it, not me. So, I, mean. I discipline you because I have a heavenly father who loves me, gave himself for me, and disciplines me. And I want to follow him as I parent you. And then they usually say something like, oh, that's great. Let's get on with it. I need to mention, but not say much, but verbal abuse, physical abuse, there's no place for it. None. We're here to help. If you feel like you don't know what to do, you're at the end of your rope. We're here to help. You're not on your own. God has every word of wisdom that you need to know how to navigate the situations in your life that you're going through, and we're here to come alongside you in whatever way we can. We won't look down our nose at you. We'll roll up our sleeves. We'll get in it with you. You just need to know. But you do need to humble yourself and ask. God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. We learn from our Heavenly Father, Father, and we follow Him every day in our parenting. Let's think about Jesus when He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he asked His disciples to stay there. His soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. This is not like a moderate, moderately stressful day. Soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And he, he says, sit here while I go over then and pray. And he goes over and he talks to his father, essentially saying the same general thing three times. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And we don't have a record of the father saying no, but we know from Jesus's response. He says, not my will, yours. He goes back and he finds the disciples and he says, arise, let us go. Here comes our betrayer. My betrayer is at hand. Jesus rose in obedience to his father, who, without hopefully stretching this too far out of context, I don't want to do that, did not give the son everything he wanted at that moment. Even though we know Jesus' ultimate want was to glorify the father and be pleasing to the father. And he did we want good things for our children. We want ease. We want success. We want thriving. We want all of these things. We want them to have lucrative lives, none of which are gospel promises. Provision, care, grace, these are gospel promises. What we should strive for, parents, with our kids is eternal ease and worship. A life of eternity with the Lord. Eternal rest, which begins even now. And let me just tell you, parents, God's grace is here for you. If you feel like you haven't been doing a swell job the last 20 years, maybe your kids are out of the house and you're like, oh, if I could just have those years back. Listen, every experience of your life and what God is doing in your heart now is not beyond the grip and the sovereign love of the Lord. You don't sit under God's judgment forever. And your adult kids are responsible for their adult decisions. It doesn't all rest on you. 
But as we've said a number of times in this series, we take what, where we're at, the information that we have now, and we say, okay, Lord, with what I know now, how do you want me to follow you faithfully this afternoon, tomorrow? It's all we can do. And we thank God for his grace.